from it. He's Ali Albarigo, and this is the School Owner Talk Podcast. Hello again, Dwayne Brummett with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Uh, good morning, Ali, and we've got a special guest with us today, right? Absolutely. Um, not just special, but a good friend of mine and uh, beyond special because, in my opinion, he's one of the better martial artists and legends in the martial arts in our modern day society. So I, I, I know he gets uh, he's a little little reserved and shy about mentioning that. And he's, you know, humble, very humble, but yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely the, the, the guy out there that I really, really respect. And I'm honored to have him on our show. Yeah. And I'm excited to uh, get to ask some questions and stuff too. So uh, you want to give everybody some background and then, then who he, obviously who he is and some background. Yeah. Well, I'll do a quick introduction and I'll let Hanchi also uh, explain a little bit about his history. But um, I know um, Hanchi Duncan, we were both kids growing up in the martial arts and, um, you know, we're similar in age. I think I'm older than you are, though. I think, Hanchi, I'm not sure, but or we're close in age. Yeah, very I'm, close in I'm, age. I'm 58 right now. So um, and uh, yeah, I've watched him, you know, first off, his his dad was a pioneer in the martial arts. I mean, has been teaching the martial arts, had taught since the early 60s and um, demonstrated at the World's Fair. And I mean, it, it just it, when growing up, I would watch him from afar. I always dreamed about meeting him and being in his presence. And, and then down the road, I was able to get connected with another teacher who happened to be his student, my teacher, Shion Vasquez, who was a student of Sensei Ronald Duncan. And um, I was able to get to spend some quality time. And I think we became friends towards the end where he would reach out to me and we would chat and go out for breakfast together. And uh, I, I was always in awe, though. Like, I remember I was telling Hanchi uh, the other day uh, that I did an interview with him and it was not even an audio interview, but I recorded it just so I could write it down for the paper. And I remember being so nervous and so afraid um, just because I was in awe of his presence. Like I could even hear the interview and in, that, uh, you know, uh, in my head, you know, my, the shakiness in my voice. And I was afraid to say something wrong, but it was just amazing for me to be able to have that time with his dad and, and over the years train with him. And of course, uh, I watched Greg, uh, Hanchi Greg uh, growing up too. And we watch each other and we're at seminars together. So it was just an honor being around, around him all this time and being a part of it. Yeah. So I'm curious, how long have you been in the martial arts, sir? Like, when did you start? Was it, you know, right out of the womb? Then your dad said, all right, we're good to go. Pretty much so. You know, um, my father always professed that, you know, myself, my brother and the rest of my siblings, well, more so myself and my brother, we were, trained since the cradle so to speak hmm. you know but from my recollection i was always involved in the martial arts as uh sensei ali had indicated you know we're both in the same demographic the same age we are the same age actually so you figuring you know five plus decades you know yeah um you know and i it's just been part of my existence always being around it always having those types of conversations and being able to be exposed to the various masters and all the people that were considered influential. Um, it, it's been quite a journey, but for me, it was just part of my fiber, being a part of it, be, uh, to be able to exist in that realm of, of martial arts. That's wild. And then uh, is there a particular <clears throat> style that you first got into and, and like how, how has all, all of that evolved, especially, you know, in today's world with grappling and MMA and yes. everything else. Yes. Well, you know, coming up in that generation and that era, the predominant studies of the arts was always predicated on jujitsu, karate, judo. And, you know, many of the other arts were kind of in the peripheral at the time. People who were cross training and becoming very proficient, but the more popular art forms in the 60s, 70s and the 80s, of course, there was an evolution of popularity of the art. But to answer your question, I started off, my father introduced myself primarily into karate. And I remember doing a lot of the fundamentals of that, um, you know, the traditional aspects of that. And of course, jujitsu was something that we were always, you know, speaking of as part of our curriculum. Because 
you know, we have to recognize my dad, you know, his earliest, his earliest foundation in the Asian arts was karate, judo, jiu-jitsu. You know, he was certified in hakuru, jiu-jitsu, kindai gako. You know, he um, got his earlier black belts in kodokan judo. Um, he studied Goshindo Kempo with Naraki Hara and various. He was just a proponent of the art who loved the art like we do today. And um, so at that time, you know, his thirst for just having that exposure as a traditional martial artist was something that he just was driven to do. And of course, he, of course, developed uh, his interpretations of ninjutsu. You know, he was recognized for that. But there was such a broad base, you know, in the foundation of his art. So I say that because that was primarily my exposure. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as I grew and I developed in the art, being able to see and recognize and identify the importance of all the arts. I was just, um, I was a fan of so many different aspects of the martial arts. You know, I, I respected so many of the martial arts and one thing kind of led into the other and I understood how the dynamics, the dynamics and the kinetics of movement all interrelated into so many different art forms. You follow, so, but the system, uh, later on my father had developed the system, recognize and identify as way to wins. So my dad passed away in 2012, and uh, myself and my brother, Ron Jr., have become the successors of that particular system. The system, in my mind, and as I usually, I'm very transparent about it, is somewhat eclectic in the, in the sense that it, it involves those traditional bases of, of the studies of jiu-jitsu, karate, weaponry. Um, and as practitioners, you know, to me, it's very important, it's very critical that we understand uh, that we must evolve as well. As time is going through, we have to stay relevant. So, you know, my humble beginnings as a practitioner, I can say was very much involved in, in the karate basis of the art. And then of course, I just accumulated various types of concepts and studies as I grew into it. Yeah, nice. And so I, I know for me, like when I first started, I, it was one art and I, I was not introduced to anything outside of that one art. And yes. it was a whole new world when I saw after about six and a half years of being in that one art, there's so much more out there to, right. so for you to grow up with, you know, um, with that, as opposed to being pigeonholed. I, that's just amazing. Yeah. I, I feel that I was very fortunate. Um, I can't say I took it for granted, but now that I look back in reflection of, the exposure that I was allowed to have, it was pretty special. Yeah. You know, growing up in the art was, was very special. It wasn't something that was forced on myself. Um, because I had other passions as a youth, you know, I was an athlete and I ran track, did gymnastics and so forth and so on. Um, but that was always something that I realized that it was very special to me, you know, to be able to be involved in the martial arts. And it wasn't my goal, my idea of being able to be a great practitioner per se, but it was just something that I was passionate and committed to doing. And once I recognized that, you know, I could develop skill sets and that could catapult me into certain things in life, I thought that was very paramount. Um, but being able to have the exposure, now that I think about it, it was pretty special, but I did have an opportunity because of the martial arts to meet a lot of people, you know, to meet a lot of good people, you mm. know, and learn a lot. I learned a lot. Yeah, I, I always talk about that with my students who are on the verge of quitting. And, uh, you know, I always say you have no idea where this martial art would take you if you stay with it. Right. And and like you said, I would say like 98 percent of my friends are people I met that yeah. were due to the martial arts. That's right. I mean, I have old friends that I barely stay in touch with that were from high school or when I was in a band. But most of my dear friends are martial artists and we have mm -hmm. that same common bond. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Law of attraction. <laughs> I know, right? It's true. And, and sometimes it has the longevity that's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so we had spoken a few weeks ago after Dwayne and I did our podcast, and we were talking about what we go through as martial artists and, and business aside and yes, you know, that junk aside and you know, making money and how to run a school and all that aside, we talked more deeply about the the things we go through as a teacher and you had reached out to me afterwards and said that it was, 
it was interesting to you that we were speaking about it because it's not really spoken about much in, in you know, our industry and how hard it is uh, mentally and physically as a teacher to, you know, for example, to raise a student since they were a kid and then one minute they quit and you never see them again. And we talked about these struggles and how hard it is to deal with that. Do you have any insight on that? I know that you're dealing with it too and we all deal with it and so on. I think that's very commonplace with a lot of instructors who I do speak with. You know, that's something I've grown to accept. You know, mm. that's part of what we do. We've chosen to be instructors and we're committed to being able to uh, be impactful in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, you know, I'm committed to being able to invest in people. So when, to your point, when you have those situations where people just kind of bail out on you, um, you know, you, you do take it, you do take a somewhat personal. Yeah. But then I've also come to the conclusion that that's just the journey that that individual may have, you know, right. whether it's two years, 22 years, whatever. But, you know, that's their journey. Right. You know, and it's not for us to interfere with what their ultimate destinations may be. So being able to supplement what they're doing, what they're able to achieve in life, in their journey, then in a sense, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how it's supposed to be. But, you know, it's, it's a balance when you look at that from a personal perspective because you're investing so much of yourself into students, whether yeah. adults mm. or kids. And the balance is also about, okay, now let's talk about the business aspect of it. Right. And so you have, you know, you're juggling that. It's such a juxtaposition that, you know, you're looking at, the psychology and then you're looking at the basis of numbers but right. i put i put the the, the psychology first yeah. right yeah do you do you find I, I mean i and and again as you're talking i'm thinking too about this like i don't even know if a parent of a child or even a student would understand how we've connected with them like in other words we we grow to a point where we really look at them like family like and family. we, we sometimes i think that i care about them and their benefit and them growing more than they do at yes. times and i really want to push them in directions to make them better because i could see their potential and then they're gone and i i kind of sometimes feel a sense of loss almost mm -hmm. as if you had a relationship or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, or whatever is, and you break up and now all of a sudden you can't talk to that person. You have a, you, right. you, you long to spend time with them. You miss them. You know, I had one little girl, she, she was three and a half, four years old. I just loved her to death. Her name was Gracie. Um, they, they stopped coming for a, a medical reason, but at the same right. time I was so connected with her. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm sorry, we can't do this anymore. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, my little, the, almost like yeah. a daughter in a way, yeah. my little three and a half year old, you know? So I, you know, you miss him. So like, yeah. what do you suggest for people like that? Like, how do you deal with that as a, as a master of the martial arts and a school owner? Do you just accept the fact that it's part of the job? I've accepted, I've accept, I've accept the fact that it's part of the job, hmm. you know, because part of which the recourse in all of that is that, you know, you have memories. Right. And, um, as my dad would always tell me, you know, as we teach, we learn. Right. So individuals who come into your path, into your space, and you're investing in them, teaching. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of learn from them as well. You learn different little personalities and so forth and so on. But, you know, I understand with anything in life, and like you stated, you know, you establish, you develop relationships. And unfortunately, numbers tell us that a lot of relationships don't last right. forever. Right. <laughs> right. You know, they don't. We have good memories. You know, of course, there's some bad memories as well. But, you know, we try to hold on and 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 go forward with those good memories. Yeah. And I think that's part of the journey as being an instructor. I mean, the instructorship, you know, we have to embrace that, that people are going to come and they're going to go. I know for me in the beginning, I took it to heart. You know, I had to get yeah. to a point where kind of like what you're talking about, I, I, I just had and I loved how you put it. Uh, you know, I had a period of time that I could invest in that individual. Hopefully I've done my best. They've gathered all the information that they needed to gather. And I just hope for the best after that. That's right. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. Uh, but it took me a while to get there. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Because, you know, we will take it personal. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think it's I I learned from my relationship with my ex-wife. And I said, we when we had gotten to the point and we were getting divorced, 
we both had a choice. The common ground was we could be enemies and fight and hate each other and think of all the bad things, or we can work really hard on, on keeping our relationship happy and right. loving. And, and thank God we did that because we have the best relationship ever. And not only for my daughter too, you know, and so that we, we still to this day go out to dinner together and spend time together, but it took more strength to get over that. Yeah. And not not being in the mindset of like, this is a battle now. Now I right. need to hate you or be mad at you. Because even in my school, sometimes people, they can't tell you how they feel unless they get angry. Mm. Like they have to somehow find you at fault or mm -hmm. get mad to be able to just express, you know, how they how they feel. Yeah. 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 Well, See, you know, that's that's part of humanity. Yes, it's true. Right. It's the human yeah. mindset. Yeah. So, so Dwayne, do you have a question or? No, I was just going to say, I think that's why exit interviews are so good with your students. Um, you know, I have a lot of them that would, uh, most of them are reluctant. So I would say probably 60% are reluctant when they want to quit. Uh, and 40% are good to go with the, the, the interview at the end. But I just tell them, you know, look, it's, it's important for our relationship. I, you know, I, one, I'm not having an exit interview with you so that I can talk you back into doing it unless you right. wanted me to do that. But second to that is I don't want to see you at the, I don't want you to see me at the grocery store or see me out to eat or out in public and go, Oh gosh, I gotta, I can't talk to him because the, the, right. I severed this. So I want us to end on, you know, common ground that we both care about each other. I mean, do yeah. you guys do something yeah. similar? I never had any luck with exit interviews. Like, really? every, yeah, people won't do them. Like you said, for the reason that they probably think I'm going to try to talk them back into it, feel guilty about quitting and that kind of thing. So I've really never, we tried for years and no one really would ever do them. Uh, they, they would say, no, no, I'm good. Mm -hmm. I, I don't need to do that. But I, I think that that's, that's the hardest part is communicating, right? That's, yeah. that's difficult. Right. I, I've never really, I can't say, I guess organically it turns out to be a, an exit interview because right. fortunately I have some individuals who will come to me right, face to face and say, listen, this is my plans and they're honorable to some degree where they'll thank me for the experience and perhaps, you know, I let them know the door is always open. Right. You know, so I kind of always try to end it on those terms. And yeah. then, of course, you know, we understand that people just aren't going to do that. Right. Because, you know, communicating from that perspective is, is very challenging. So, hmm. you know, but um, when I do have the opportunity to have these types of exit interviews, so to speak, I make sure that they know that the door is always open for them. That's awesome. And there's a small percentage that eventually yeah. come back. You know, they kind right. of go their way and kind of figure things out in life. And they realize, you know what, you know, when I was there, you know, it was a pretty good experience. Maybe I should circle back and, and revisit this experience in my life again. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder about that. Right. Like you wonder, you know, will they, did they leave and were they happy? Did they leave and they just had other things in their life? Did yeah. they enjoy what yeah. they did? You know? And then I wonder, like, I'll see a lot of people that will have gone on and joined a different school. And I yes, say after right. years, then instead of coming back to me, they'll go back to someone else. And I always wondered, you know, why wouldn't they just come back to their roots and, and get started and continue where they left off? But I think it's about newness these days. Yeah, Everything is new, right. fresh, and so on. That's so, Hanchi, right. where where do you feel that the martial arts are going in the 21st century? I mean, I know that we chatted about this a little bit, about the classical side of the martial yeah. arts, the traditional, the sport aspect, the MMA fight game. Um where do you see it and and what do you like about it and or not like about it what do you think we need to do to change to make it better i know that's a big loaded question with multiple questions in it um well there's an old saying i always like to say that you can never put the toothpaste back into the tube mm -hmm. so once we've gone down this narrative this rabbit hole of being eclectic and evolving the martial art um you know, that's where we are right now. You know, so it's kind of like, do we adjust? Do we make our applications to make sure that we can stay relevant? But if we're committed to being a part of a tradition, if we're committed to being a part of a art form that speaks of traditional, what's defined as traditional art, then yes, then we have to, we have to keep that continuity. Yeah. Um, but I recognize that, um, Martial arts is a subculture within a culture. And 
you know, we've had these conversations in the past where as a culture, you know, things are very fast paced, you know, and sometimes when people get into what they describe as a traditional martial art, it takes time. You know, mm. there's a lot of time, there's patience, and I don't know if people have that type of time and patience anymore mm. because you can get so much exposure. You know, the medium is so different, you know, than 1970, 1980, you know, where you had to really put the time in to get that direct transmission and right. get an end result. But now people are realizing they can get the same result, if not similar, without direct transmission. They can log on to something, they can go here, they can go there and um and still get a result that they're satisfied with now if you took if you're speaking of the precepts that comes with what we define as traditional martial arts you know loyalty discipline focus integrity all those things that i think are critical into the martial arts um does it still exist maybe maybe not i don't know i mean <laughs> you know depends not, on the school right it depends on the school you know but for me i try to make sure that is paramount and it's in the forefront and I'm very transparent about that. Mm. And uh, as I made mention before, you know, to some extent, there is law of attraction. There are people who really are attracted to that. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are people who really don't find that to be too attractive. So they're not going to be around too long. And you know the right. ones. Who, and you can always tell the ones who are not going to be around that long, you know, yeah. because it's just a energetic thing that I kind of pick up on. And, um, you know, and perhaps, you know, the influences can kind of alter their state of thinking and how they perceive and how they, you know, how they accept traditional styles of training. And then sometimes you see that you see people kind of making those those concessions and they evolve into that way of thinking and training. Right. Do you feel that, um, you know, so of course, I've had many debates with different coaches and consultants in regards to what is tradition and what's valuable, right. valuable about tradition. And we've talked about, you know, Hey, why would you do this high block? It <clears throat> makes no sense, you know, because they, they see things from a very limited perspective. Now, right. what I could tell you is I remember with your dad, I mean, he would defend himself with anything that anything. you could defend. So a part of one of his DVDs, which I still have, I believe it was Hodo. Hodo, Hodo. Kurosu, the yeah. art of improvised weaponry. Weaponry, right? right? Yes. Yeah. So yes. he would, you know, a Walkman at the time, which people probably don't know what that That's is right. anymore, <laughs> but he'd have the cable and the, and, he's, right. and you know, a book, uh, an umbrella, right. a comb, right. like he would find a way. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because there's that openness of mindset. Yes. Right. And I think there is a very closed mindset these days of like what's real, what yes. works. Like, for, right. for example, one of my students, we posted a video of him doing some martial art technique and the Instagram comments were like, well, yeah, but could he could he take a punch to the face? So him and I joke every time we post a picture of anything, whether it's a three year old kid, Brian right. will post but can he take a punch to the face as, as part of the precursor of the right. comments? Right. But so I wonder, like, is it maybe, a, is it because people are not exposed to a wide variety and the history and the tradition and what martial arts used to be and it's slowly disappearing so that they really have no point of reference to know the reasons why these things are valuable? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think there is adequate enough exposure because of the fact that the accessibility of being able to research and figure things out for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think because you have the, um, the onslaught of contemporary stuff that includes octagon fighting and so forth and so on. Right. I think that kind of in people's mind, they've defined that as being effective and realistic fighting and training. Right. So what you're doing does not resemble that. Right. Or does not include anything that's going to allow you because I'll see stuff that I think is valuable, you know, right. guys who are showing some real valuable self-defense applications, right. principles, concepts, you know, and of course, to a certain extent, we speak in theory, but when you see somebody doing something that just makes sense, right. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see an onslaught of comments like, well, will this work in their cage? Right. You know, stuff like that. Right. You know, and I'm saying to myself, that's, that's a limited scope. Hmm. You know, that's a limited scope of thinking. So I use that as a reference because if teaching things or including concepts and principles that don't resemble what they see in the cage fighting or MMA or the sport arena, then it has it doesn't have as much value. Right. So well, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, then uh, I, with regards to that, yeah. you know, Steven Seagal got 
hammered by people when they were he was teaching a front kick and yeah. just some I, I for lack of a better not lack of a better saying it is you know some variations or small little details to the front kick yet right. you know these MMA fighters and other people are like he's just teaching a front kick I mean is that kind of what you're referring to as a limited scope of of you know different techniques that can actually have a, a, a well, deeper effect that yeah maybe they're not going to be utilized in the ring but they could like you see where i'm going with that yeah, can i can i just add to that and then hanchi hopefully you could answer in, in your opinion as well i i i'm sure he and i and by the way we teach at an event every year um called masters unite and we'll he'll teach i'll teach and we'll we'll be out there in front of you know 100 or so people teaching techniques and little variations of each of our personalities and styles right yes, we'll, we'll yes. teach the same move or maybe a variation of that particular move and but i have found that there's some people that are just doing moves that are they work because their brute strength will make them work but the That's technique right. is not there whether it be a wrist lock or Seagal's front kick like i've been kicked by him and knocked back eight foot, you know, like, and he didn't kick me hard. He just used the momentum and the power and the proper technique. Right. So, so sometimes we're not open-minded enough to even see it. Right. As those little points are being taught. Does, does that sound? No, I understand. Yes. I guess the nuances um, of technique. That's know, a good term. Technical. Nuances. Yeah. You know, um, you know, from my, from my perspective, because I'm not a big individual. So I've always believed and being technical yes okay and of course and you understand physics of what you're doing then of course that's where the efficiencies come in but mm. you know we have to be truthful with ourselves and right. once we can identify what our limitations are you see you know i'm not going to try to sell you something that i don't feel that's going to be valuable for myself right right you know so when you start breaking down okay what are we exact what are we doing exactly are we expounding upon the realities of combat because now it's going to hold, that's a whole different conversation. Right. That's a mindset. You see, you know, combative measures and combative training is a mindset. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at how do we hang on or how do we expound upon traditional martial arts, then that's a different mindset as well. And from my perspective, the older I get, because we all understand as we get older, our physicality is going to be changing and diminishing. Right. So, you know, and I feel that, okay, so what can I... What, what are the benefits at this point? Well, A, the benefits as an older practitioner is that you're getting a healthy measure of exercise. Hmm. is giving you longevity physically. And now you're also speaking of the spiritual and the psychological dynamics that comes with martial arts training, especially right. this from a traditional standpoint. Because yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know how many people still hold on to meditation hmm. and breathing. And all these different things and even practicing forms we understand doing a kata may not be prescribed as combative but there are combative elements within the bunkais of katas but at the right. same time as i said before you know doing forms in over 55 65 70 is kind of like doing a crossword puzzle every day right now you're tapping into the neurology of mm. your brain and all these things and, and helping you stay healthy and strong and give you longevity so that's what i look at you know because there's a spiritual dynamic that comes with the martial arts right you see and when you come to realities of what your limitations are then you got to make your adjustments your adjustments is very psychological and you mm. have to be truthful to yourself right you see but now if you're predicated if you're solely basing what you do on combative measures and self-defense right all that stuff now you got to say okay what adjustments do i make so this way i can still remain viable and still protect myself and protect my family right and stand a chance against somebody who's 20 years younger than you right but now you're looking at experience you're looking at knowledge and you're increasing your knowledge and you're understanding that even psychological warfare is something that we have to pay attention to right because before you even engage with somebody there's going to be a psychology thing that's going to go on somebody right scare you down look at you a certain way size you up and that could be intimidating hmm. all right yeah you know so even if you're talking about weaponry somebody you know a lot of times as i was told you know let's let's use a blade for instance the psychology of knife fighting the first thing that's going to be intimidating is the blade yeah and some people may say that the knife is probably even more intimidating than a gun hmm. because when you associate that that knife that steel you associate what getting cut going into yeah. shock all those different things you know so that could be a deterrent 
that's psychological. You follow? Yeah. But, you know, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but the realities of what we speak of a contemporary training, we have to be very clear that is for contemporary purposes. You I know, love being that. able to pick up a weapon, being able to pick up a pen, yeah. you know, your phone, all these different things. And that's the improvised aspect of the training that I'm accustomed to. Now, yeah. do I always teach that to everybody? No, because you have to be able to crawl before you walk. Right. Yeah, that, that's valuable. I was thinking of one time when I was in Japan, Tanimura Sensei explained ninjutsu and ninpo. The ninpo is the more spiritual side of ninjutsu. And he said, equate it to like a tip of a mountain. And he says, most people only use the jitsu and the techniques yes. to get to the top. Once they hit the peak, they, they're done. They don't know, they can't go any further, but the nimpo right. is the spiritual side, the mental applications, the right. all the things that you had just mentioned. Yes. And I think that's where a lot of people, they end their training at the jitsu, just the physical. They, don't, the even physical. Realize, they don't even realize that there's a beyond. Yes, yes, hmm. right. That's, that's incredible. Right. Great, yeah. well, great and, answer. And kind of what you're saying too is, uh, as we get older, yes, we, we have less physical ability compared to when we were you know, 21, um, but with the experience, we, there's things like you said, psychologically that we can see happening before they happen. That's right. Right. And, you know, so it looks like you, we were amazingly quick or whatever, but it really, it was just, we were a step or two steps ahead because we've seen this before. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. with that being said, you, you've probably seen some of the debates on Facebook or on Instagram where they say, um, you know, when you stop training and you're, you're no longer physically training, you're no longer a black belt. And I've always debated that because they don't take away your degree if you stop going to college, right? So you once a black belt, <clears throat> always a black belt. Obviously, if you want to physically stay a black belt, um, you would stay and train as much as you said with your limitations. But what are your thoughts on that? Like, you know, do you feel like, Black belts should be uh, tested for every certain years or once you earn it and you stay engaged, you maintain, like what, what are your just thoughts on that philosophy? Well, I think that's somewhat of a loaded question and answer because in the simplest text, I would say, you know, where the head goes, the body follows. Mm. So if somebody's mind is still in the game, you know, you're still thinking about it and you're still focusing on the martial art on the level of being a black belt. So let's say what if somebody reaches black belt and they're very physically skilled, now they become disabled. Right. Or you're no longer a practitioner. Or you're right. no longer a black belt. But mm. the fact is, if you still have the wherewithal and you still have the cognition, and now at this point, can you teach? Right. Can you uh, transmit? Do you have direct transmission? You see, and I tell it to people all the time, there's going to come a point in time in all of our lives, if we're committed to doing martial arts all our lives and have that, and we're blessed to be in it long enough. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, being it long enough where we probably are walking on canes and maybe need a walker or whatever the case mm. may be, but we still can put a gi on and put on our obi. Right. But now we can teach. Mm. You know, you can still transmit. Does that is does that take away the fact that you are a yudansha? Hmm. A sensei, a hanshi, a shihan, a kiyoshi, yeah, renshi, you know, because uh, you know there are limitations that will be there. So if somebody if somebody steps away from the art, totally, you know, um, I still say that they've achieved the black belt. You achieved it, you right? Know, you 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 put in time. You can't take that time back from somebody, right? But now, what what becomes interesting in this in this narrative in this discussion is when you speak of organization. If somebody is part of an organization or a system or a style, and then there is a period that elapse, you know, then of course, yeah, it, it could probably create some some breakdown, so to speak. Right. Because if it's about the longevity of a system or an organization, okay, and it's about that, then right. yeah, people may have issues with somebody who steps away, you know. Mm. But the knowledge base, you, you know, that's there. And the evolution of the person, that's, you know, that's there. <laughs> right. No, I love that answer. I think that that's great there. It's very similar to, you know, academics, you academics. know, you, 
you get a college degree, you've always are going to have a college degree. Um, you may not even practice in the field that you got the degree for. That's right. However, uh, and you may forget a lot of it, but they can't right. say you never got your degree. Right. Um, right. It all depends, I guess, on what the definition there were people. And this leads into another question I have for you is like um, people put such a high value on black belts and in our, especially in the in the Western culture versus right. the Eastern. Like I've been in Japan and I've watched fourth degree black belt tests and they were basic tests. They weren't very impressive. And mm -hmm. I asked the teachers and they said, um, yeah, that we don't even feel like they're any value in the martial arts until their fifth or sixth on mm. that shows that they've been around for a long time and it became a part of their life. But in the United States, everyone says, Oh, black belt. You've probably heard it. Oh, you're a black belt. I would love for you to be with me in the dark alley. You know, they think every black belt is the killer elite. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. we all know black belts that couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag, you know? So yeah. what, what do you think about the value of black belt? I know in your school, it takes a long time to achieve it. Well, the value of black belt, you know, um, you know, as we understand the definition of that, it's just, uh, you know, it's a white belt that never quit. Mm, right. <laughs> you know? And of course, when you achieve the level of Udansha or whatever, you know, terms you want to use, depending on the origins of your system. You right. Know, it's Korean based or Japanese based or whatever the case may be. But from my perspective, I'll just use Japanese term. Uh, if you say Udansha, you know, which means you achieve black belt. So that means now you are now just ready to learn. Mm. Okay, and at that point, even when you reach first degree, you know you're not an instructor, you're not a you're not a sensei. Right. I mean, you can instruct and be an assistant instructor, but to achieve the title of sensei as an as an instructor, a teacher, right, the one who came before, then from from my perspective, you know, you're at least a third don, and right. it takes some time. But I think the value of black belt. I think the definition of it. I think the perspective, the perception of it has changed. Right. You know, because there's so many people who are achieving it, mm. you see. So, you know, and you're getting younger people are getting it and you still have that conversation like, well, is it worth anything anymore? Um, there is value because what's happening is that, you know, you're investing yourself into something that you've achieved. You, you've achieved a certain level. Now, everybody may have a different, uh, a different take on what it means or what it takes. Right, requirements. The requirements, correct. Right. But at the end of the day, there has been some equity. You know, right. people have put in equity, mat equity, sweat, and so forth and so on. You can only hope that certain standards have been upheld across the landscape. You know, like if you go to a tournament and you have a black belt meeting, you know, as the person who's hosting that tournament hosts that meeting, yes. you okay, you know, we just can only assume that all the black belts have an understanding, a knowledge base that, okay, certain things are not acceptable and certain things we're looking for. And right. we have that wherewithal to, you know, to decipher that. You yeah. Know? So the same thing, I think expectation be there. And I, I guess there probably are and there probably aren't. But, you know, it, it becomes a very interesting debate. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I like to always speak with diplomacy because I don't want to be insulting to anybody what they perceive as being valid for them. Right. But right. I can only speak for myself, from my perspective and the way right. I was raised in the art. You know, it takes a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I think that there should be a certain skill set that's attached to what you're doing. Right. But at the same time, I do feel that, you know, you have to look at the individual as to where they started. Mm. So... I'll say this tongue in cheek. If you get somebody who cannot walk down the steps and chew the gum at the same time, right. And they just have certain disadvantages from a physical standpoint, you know, you, you got to look at where they started. Right. You have to look at where they started and you make a comparative from day one to where they are now, four or five years later. And you see right. this transformation, not only in the skill set, but a transformation as who they are as people. Right. You know, their mindset, their discipline, mm. who they are, how they conduct themselves. Right. You see, then that to me, I think that has a lot of value. This factor there, you exactly. know. But going back to the earlier conversation about now, does somebody deserve to stay a black belt and blah blah blah? I think, you know, even in universities, if somebody years later does something that quantifies as misconduct, they've taken degrees away from people. Right. You see. Yeah. And I think in the martial art community, that happens as well. You know, if you have a certain standard of conduct, codes of conduct that's put into place, 
and people breach that, I think it is of the discretion of the instructor or the head of an organization that they can retract rank. Right. Now, rank is a little bit different than what I've achieved the black belt. You can't take away that knowledge, but they have affiliation with organizations and dojos, and you have that right to retract that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Absolutely. So, I, you know, I often tell uh, parents because they'll when they ask the what they're perceiving as a discrepancy on one person being a black belt and another person being a black belt. You know, I, I just tell them, one, you don't have the timeline I do. Two, um, let's just say we grade everybody on a scale from one to ten. We want black belts to be a seven. So when they right. test for their black belt, we want them to be a seven. And your child came in at a five already. And yeah. by the time they tested for black belt, they're at a seven. Yeah. But this other kid came in at a negative three. And by the time they tested, they're a positive three. Who who actually gained more? Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I used to, when I used to run tests in the early days, each test became more and more difficult. So first they had to run a mile. This test number two, they had to run three. By test number three, they had to run five. And I got to a point where I finally realized, I said, these people are going to have to be superhuman Mm. or else they're not going to be able to pass a black belt. And I kept up in the bar. So I had to realize that there was a bell curve, you know, that you're going to have black belts where I could put my head on the pillow at night and say he deserves it or she deserves it. That could be the bottom left-hand side of the bell curve. And then those super athletes are at the top right-hand side. That's right. Um, You know, the anomalies, the ones that are just so natural and their ability is such phenomenal. Um, But not everyone's going to be at the same spot. Well, I mean, you look at our military, it's the same thing, right? Not everybody's going to be a Navy SEAL, but you can still be part of the Navy. That's right. right. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hanshi, on um, you're teaching full time now. I teach full time now. Yes. Yeah. So, and your dojo's in New Jersey. New Jersey, Union, New Jersey. Yeah, that, that's yeah. super exciting. I still have not been able to get out there and, and come to your school and visit. I have to. Well, we got we got to fix that. Yeah, I definitely agree, <laughs> and, and and as well as have you to my school as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, but uh, Dwayne, I just did a seminar at a friend of mine's school, and Hanshi taught. And he did the, his uh, a Psy seminar on the metal Psy and um, amazing, like, you know, just such a great time and, you know, all different, you know, nuances of the movements and everything. And, and to me, I brought four of my students, I think three or four, yes. and they were all just like, you know, wow, this is they had a whole different perspective on on the weapon that I teach on a regular basis. So mm. it was interesting to, to see like how it opens people's minds and and hanchi is teaching something very similar but different and how people are like wow i've never seen it before you know like students you could have probably said some of the same things that i did and they would go wow i never heard that before (laughs) but um but just training with you and being around you was just a great experience so i know and you do that often you train and teach at other different seminars Mm -hmm. so what's your thought too like with um teaching at other schools you know when they they don't do anything at all like you what you do you know system mm-hmm. is totally different what is your approach like how do you approach that kind of seminar or, or teaching well i just try to get a, a feel in terms of what people's comfort levels are mm-hmm. you know if um this case in point if i'm teaching the sai for instance and and there are people there who have never touched the sai before then i i meet them where they are okay you know? those way they're comfortable and then of course it opens up those channels of learning um if i'm into if i step into an environment where everybody is very familiar mm-hmm. and the language and air quotes sort of the same thing then yeah then we can just let it become more organic and i can just take off and do certain things that everybody's somewhat comfortable with right. so you know it really depends on the environment you know um i tried to get a feel beforehand like well who am i working with okay what's what's their experience level Great. And you teach to the group, obviously. And I teach to the group. That's great. their ability. That's awesome. Yes. Fantastic. I I love it. Yeah, we had such a good time. So I I look forward to doing doing that again. And I I look forward to training with you at Masters Unite as well, coming up in August, that our good friend, Sean Andrew Stigliano, uh, teaches. Yes. So, So we had a conversation and we, this is not, I'm not bringing it up for negativity, but we, we do find a lot of 
martial arts these days is, you know, everyone's calling this one a McDojo and that one a fake and this one that, and there's a lot of negativity, the drama around martial arts. Mm-hmm. And you and I had a great conversation on how we stay away from that and ignore it and so on. But what's your personal philosophy on that? Like, how do you, do you stay away? Do you not listen? Do you, do you just ignore? Like what, what is it for you to stay away from the drama? Um, and you know, the drama is very interesting because, again, it speaks to just the humanity of people being involved in something that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. For me, and I always tell people this often, you know, I, um, I choose to have peace. And for a long time, that peace was often disrupted because of various reasons. I'll be brought into things that were defined as being dramatic. But I think if... Um, you know, you have to be the captain of your own ship. If you choose not to be involved with certain things and it's going to be disruptive to your own state of mind, to your own peace, then then just don't don't be a part of it. But, you know, when people have those opinions and they go out and they want to expound upon that stuff, their opinions, you know. Um, yeah. And, of course, there are some places or certain institutions that resemble what they're saying, <laughs> you right, know, right. but... You know, you have to stop and look at, well, why is this being done? Because when you look in at schools or businesses or operations, you know, nobody goes into business to fail. Right. And if you go into business, part of which you want to be able to monetize and, and earn a living and be successful. And, you right. Know, we equate success with being able to monetize. Now, there are different extremes to that. You yeah. See, you don't want to be exploiting individuals. You know, you can't Correct. do that. I I often tell my students, my family, my kids, you know, not all money is good money. Mm. You see, because at the end of the day, for me, I feel that I have to be able to lay my head down and look myself in the mirror and be okay with that. Uh You see, and there are things and opportunities that I've walked away from because I just was not comfortable. You follow? So, you know, that's just my perspective. Um, But I love that. it, It does not take away from the fact that business models can be expansive and do so many different things that allow people to, of course, their journey is their journey. If their objective is to do certain things with their martial art business and prowess, then so be it. But I, I try my best to stay away from that. There are times I may have something to say, but I measure out like, what good is that going to do? Now, not saying that we should all be silent observers. Right. Because, you know, there's a time you need to speak up. There's a time yeah. you need to, you know, support what you believe in. And that's, I think that's very, very important. I think so. I know, like, for, I was just going to really say this really quick. Yeah. I know, like, on social media for myself, I have some social media rules. And when those things pop up, I will take those conversations off of. Yes. And, and look, you want to speak on the phone. You want to speak in person. Um, I'm not going to type back and forth and try to to you know right. talk with you about your point and my point like i just right. am not going to do that and if you're not yeah. willing to meet with me be it on the phone or or in person then you know it must not be important enough to you to get your point mm. across either right right that's true you know and a lot of yeah. this stuff is just is very hateful very uh a lot of the stuff is very hurtful should i say well that's why i'm so impressed with ali because he's got a ton of friends around yeah. his area where his school is at with other school owners and they all get along. I mean, maybe not all, but uh, they mostly get along. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, I've had run-ins with with people in, in our town. And it's like, I'm not doing anything to you. You know what I mean? Well, I, I think that, and by the way, it's not easy. Again, it starts with developing a relationship. So like to, to first be transparent that I'm not, you know, like I, I had a dinner, a, um, a uh, fellowship dinner at my school where I invited all the martial artists that I could, that I knew and that I could get in touch with. And it was interesting. It was nothing but a dinner. I pay for all the food and I just wanted to get together and hang out. And uh, I would get so many behind the scenes conversations. People call me like, no, really, what is this about? Like, what, mm. are, you, what are you selling? What are you trying? What is the organ? I'm like, no, no, guys, I just want to say thank you and have you all in my school. But and, and a lot of people didn't come because they didn't believe that it was just to get together. Right. Um, but uh, but we just had breakfast this morning. There's six school owners at breakfast this morning where we just hang out and we talked about movies today, uh, a few things about seminars and tournaments, but mostly 
just hanging out as friends, like-minded friends. Right. You know, and that's yeah. super important. That's um, healthy. That's very yeah, healthy. Yeah, you need it. And, and by the way, who's going to understand you better than someone who's gone through it? Like right. when, when Ponchi, when you and I talk, you know, and that's right. we go through the same thing. You know, we might be feeling the same way. Dwayne and I, during COVID, we were a big sounding board for each other during COVID where he would call me and I would call him. We were nervous. What are we doing? What could we fix? How could we do this? And mm. it was good to have him in my corner. And and I hope I, I was able to do the same oh, for him. Vice versa. Definitely. Yeah. So, but um, anyway, I wanted to quickly tell you, Hanchi, your, your brother, um, uh, had texted and said good afternoon to everybody. So it was great to see him on there. Um, we had uh, Sensei Ingram. He also said God bless to you as well. Yes. And a whole bunch of other senseis, uh, Sensei Murphy and Muhammad and people from all over the world, actually. Wow. So um, we had uh, Ryan Blanchard from a good friend of mine from, uh, he's from Illinois, not Illinois. He's from uh Cajun martial arts, uh, New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so there are everybody from all over are tuning in and saying That's hello and, and all that. Yes. So That's we're running out of time. We have about nine minutes left. So yes. uh, did you have anything that you wanted to talk about as far as your personal philosophy or um, what your goal is and your mission nowadays and, and, you know, that you're doing or anything upcoming or whatever? Well, you know, first and foremost, I, um, I always try to allow myself to be involved with something that's a vehicle of positivity. My school, my dojo, as I tell people often enough, is that we try to establish a community or a culture, you know, where, you know, we are uplifting each other. Mm. You know, the students, the peers is very uplifting. And it may sound trite and, and, and corny to some, but I, I, I hold on to that, you know, because there's a lot of negativity in the martial arts, but there's a lot of good in the martial arts as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of good in the martial arts and it does a lot of good for a lot of people. Right. You know? And we all have our own journey. We all have our own prize. And I was telling a friend yesterday, you know, you have to keep your eye on your prize, not nobody else's right. prize. Right. We all have our own prize. Yes. So part of which, when we engage in the martial arts and accept it as a journey, part of our life journey, then just try to extract as much as you can that's going to be positive, that's going to help build you, and it's going to be transformative. Right. Because being a martial artist is all about transformation. Mm. We transform ourselves externally and in hopes that we are transforming ourselves internally. Mm. And I said it before on different interviews, you know, part of which, for me, um, our spirituality is our first measure of defense. And it's important that we protect that. Yes. And part of which you want to protect your peace. So mm. outside noise can sometimes make its way. And it is challenging. I, we all know that it's challenging. We know yeah. that, you know, the landscape of being a martial arts instructor or being within the culture of the martial arts, it's, there's a lot of distractions. Yes. And there's a lot of negative forces out there, but you know, part of the discipline, when we spoke earlier in the conversation, you know, one of the things we speak about is what discipline, mm. you know, and even as instructors, we're four or five decades deep into this. We still yeah. got to maintain that focus. Okay, what's the discipline? The discipline is, you know, keeping an eye on our own prize. Right. You know, and try to eliminate that outside noise. And I do my best to do that. It's know? hard, though. It, it's, it definitely it's challenging. Is. It's challenging. Yeah, there's my, so many different factors involved. Yeah, my yoga teacher, who is no longer with us, when he passed away, was 124 years old. Wow. And wow. Uh, Swami Bhaji, it was one man that I met and automatically was in love with. He just thought he was, he was the best, you know, he was great. But he yeah. used to say to me, and it was a very old old style way of saying it, he used to say, Ali, um, while you're worrying about what people are thinking or saying, they're out tap dancing, having the time of their lives, giving, right. paying you absolutely right. no mind. They dropped their right. comment. They said that hurtful statement. Yeah. And they, and they keep away. moving and they yeah. walk away. Yeah. They don't but, care at all. But yeah, you know, we but, internalize but you it. Take that, we internalize it. You take it to heart, you yes. know, especially if you're a caring person. You know, you mm. look at those things and it becomes very hurtful. And yeah. maybe that's their intention. They know yeah. that you're probably going to be hurt by it. That's what they're right. doing. Right. But, you know, my, my choice is peace. Yes. And I express that every chance I get, you know, we have to, we have to seek out peace, you know, and I, I've learned these lessons. The biggest lesson I learned uh, before my wife passed away, she battled cancer for about maybe six years. Mm. Wow. 
What an inspiration. Hmm. That altered my way of thinking. Yeah. So that that measure of looking at that, I, I use that to make sure that I stay consistent on how I express myself as a martial artist, as a believer, you know, whether you guys believe in God, I, I'm a believer of God and I, I try to put that first. Dwayne's martial arts school is a Christian martial arts school. There you go. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I know, I mean, yeah, don't we realize now that, and as you get older and you have less life at the end of the journey yes. and, you, and more, more behind you than you do have in front of you. Um, I try to, experience happiness every day mm -hmm. sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to because mm -hmm. it's part of the day and part of your job or part of whatever difficult conversations or whatever it is to have but the majority of time it's a choice to be happy that's right you could focus on the good or you could focus on the bad there's always bad you could always find it all you have to do is choose you could go that's out right. and find it in a, in a flash that's right to, to experience happiness that's harder these days, sure. isn't it? It's more difficult to really just experience it and really remind yourself. Well, and Ali, you said, you know, we have uh, more behind us than we do ahead of us. And you're right with regards to time. Right. But I think with the right perspective, we actually have more ahead of us than we than we had behind us because we can actually look backwards and appreciate things, one, backwards more but as we're moving through time now yes. we have a different perspective that we can actually get more out of it right. than we did when we were younger because we were so much in that bottle now we're mm -hmm. able to take ourselves out of yeah. out of the bottle a little bit better as we get older okay. yes that's right yeah. someone hunchy just wrote uh, not someone rick kellerman from 10 tigers kung fu he said so sorry for your loss it's so inspiring that you choose to find something so positive within a tragedy Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but Dwayne, you're right though. Like, you know, I, I look at my life and I would say, okay, how can I make this a good day? You know, like, what can I do to enjoy? And I, we were just watching a TV show last night, my family and I, and I said, it was about the seventies and the hippies and music back in the seventies. I said, I would love to go back in time and experience that love era, but I would mm -hmm. like to be 25 years old at least so that I was mature enough to realize what I was, what, you know, right. I, I lived through it, but I was the little kid. I, I didn't have any idea. So imagine being able to go back in time, knowing what to look for and appreciate um, that would change everything. So thinking about the future, that's how we have to look at it and go, how can we appreciate what we have? Yeah. Well, and I think we have to also, uh, the older we get, we got to be careful because of everything that we've gone through that we are looking for the things that we are grateful for because yeah. it's so much easier to, and you, we all know older people that are negative and crusty and, oh, like, yeah. you know, they're just not nice to be around anymore. And yeah. I wonder if they were like that when they were our age or even earlier. So, um, mm. you know, we, I, I just think that it's really important as we get older that we, that we don't get that way. We really have to look at the things that we're grateful for and that we appreciate and, and find, you know, like you had said, find the good in life and then demonstrate that and share it with others. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so Hanchi, how do people get in touch with you if they want to just reach out through your website or through the website through Duncan Martial Arts website? Uh, what is the actual domain? DuncanMartialArts.com? Uh, yeah, com. Great, yeah. great. And, and then I have um, my Facebook page. The people using, usually reach me through there. And then I have. Is it under your name, the Facebook page? Or yes, is it Gregory under Duncan. Okay. Gregory so Duncan. People could reach out to you. They can message you there. Yes, they can get absolutely. in touch in case they want to do a seminar or have you That's in, right. um, yep. which I highly recommend. It would be life changing for your school. Um, and, uh, so they'd be in touch with you. And then if they want to do a seminar and train with you coming up in August is the masters unite. Masters unite. Uh, right. You'll be there on long Island for the long Islanders, but if not, I'm sure you're going to be doing different seminars throughout the country and so yep. on. So yes. it was an honor, you know, Hanchi to have you on. I mean, I consider us friends and, yes. and for a long time. We know each other for like 40 
plus years. A long time. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I look back, I saw a photo. I remember you doing a seminar at Storm King and you were doing Ukemi Waza flips and falls and so on. Yeah, and yeah. we were on those grungy, soaked, swell, sweaty mats. <laughs> yeah. We were in the basement of, uh, of yeah, uh, Storm yeah. King. And yeah. But I saw the photos of you and I. I have to dig it out. And we were so young. We were young. <laughs> oh my God. It was yeah. got to be, that has to be 35 years ago. It's going back because you realize the Storm King event, we started doing that in 1991. Wow. You know, so that's when I opened my school. Yeah, around that time. So we're just we're, we're young guys, you know. With, oh my God. Uh, a lot of energy and, and no gray hair or nothing. Exactly. And <laughs> that's and when I graduated high school, 1991. Without, wow. without the without the um uh injuries and the pain and the stuff that's that right. I wake up with every morning. Yes. That reminds me of all my hardcore training. Yeah. But uh yeah, it was a great time. So it's been great taking this journey. I hope that we can continue for many, many, many years together and do That's things right. and achieve greatness, but you're awesome. I appreciate you I very appreciate much. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Yep. Thank yeah. you, sir. Thank you for joining us for another episode of martial arts school and talk podcast. This would not be possible if it weren't for the support of our amazing sponsors. Please check out elite insights for all your website needs. They can be reached at eliteinsights.com. Add health coaching, helping school owners create a new and easy to implement revenue stream for your school. Visit adhealthcoaching.com. Lead Hunter Media, your online digital marketer and content provider. Visit leadhuntermedia.com. Academy Kings Growth Consulting and Management Group. They can be reached at academykings.com. And Spark Membership, hands down the best martial arts software for school owner management on the planet. They can be reached at sparkmembership.com. We will see you next time.